0: If you're a student, you're dismissed, and if you're not a student, I'm glad you're here today. Uh, Two quick announcements from me. One is I want to just say thank you uh, for those of you that participated Wednesday night. Once a quarter, we go down to Calvary Rescue Mission and try to love on about 80 men and uh, feed them supper and have a little Bible study with them, and I, I, love, I love driving home from that place. Um, I've always got a thousand other things that I'd rather be doing, and um, uh, I, it's hard for me to get motivated to go uh, down there, but after being with them and driving home, I'm always driving home just thanking God that I got to spend some time with some folks um, just that reveal facets of who Jesus is to me that I don't see in other environments, other settings. And about 20 of y'all uh, helped make that evening happen. And uh, I just wanted to say thank you. Actually, it was more than 20 of you by the time the folks that brought food and those of you that prayed for us, uh, so all of you, thank you so much for your participation and help in that that deal. It was a good it was a good evening. It honored the Lord. And then, second of all, uh, I I have sent a text to I don't know many of you about the mission trip that's going to be taking place in July 15 through 18. July 15 through 18. It's a we leave on we come back on Saturday night. It is a short trip. Um, but we leave there on Saturday well, Saturday afternoon, and we have built we will have built, Lord Willing, three houses for three families that don't have anywhere to live. And you think about that. You think about uh, you did not have anywhere to live. And now you have your own home, and it's paid for, and you can raise your children and grandchildren in it, and it's uh, safe and strong and secure, and um, it's a good thing. And if you have some, if you didn't get information from me, and you would like that information, if you will text me or stop me after church, I'll I'll send it to you. I've sent it to everybody that I thought might be interested. There could be many of you that are interested, and I just don't know about that. So if you'd like to to have some interest in that, or if you have some interest in that and you'd like some more information, you let me know. It's a good trip. And um, I don't know, that's all I can say. Um, Oh, yeah, we need a deposit. Nancy, I don't want you to scowl at me. Um, I, I, I need a $100 deposit from you if you want to go on that trip by March 1st, okay, the reason is to, is to secure the airline tickets. The trip will cost about less than 600 bucks. It's a fire sale deal. I mean, it's a deal, okay? And uh, uh, it'll change your life, and it'll change three families' lives for sure. Uh, it'll cost less than $600, including the $100 deposit, all right? But we need the deposit so we can go in and reserve the airline ticket. So if you would uh, have some interest, you let me know, okay? Mm -hmm. Don't? Mm -hmm. Thank you, Mom. (laughs) Um, In Romans chapter 15... um, I've been pondering this verse all week. It says, what was written in former times was written for our instruction. He's referring to the Old Testament. In the past, at that time, was the Old Testament. What was written in former times was written for our instruction so that through endurance and the encouragement of Scripture we might have hope. So God gave us the Bible, His instructions. Ultimately, for the purpose of giving us the ability to endure difficulty and to encourage us, so that we can go through life with hope. Woo. I constantly need fresh measures of hope. I can can get into places of hopelessness very quickly, embarrassingly so. I can find a $100 bill on the ground, get the nicest thank you note that I've changed somebody's life, My wife can give me the biggest kiss. My grandson cares anybody, did she give me such a big kiss? My grandson can come over and I can spend time with him. And in literally seconds, something can happen. And all of that encouragement, all of that which gives me hope. Can be voided out. And um, is that right? Is that good? Absolutely not. It just is. And I am constantly in need of fresh hope. God gave us the Bible to give us encouragement and endurance and hope. But trying to understand the Bible, trying to understand the infinite with a finite mind is very challenging. It is not for the faint of heart. Any of you that are semi-serious students of God's Word, I think you would... Say amen. That trying to understand the God of the Bible and His ways and His purposes and His desires for us—that is a—that's a very difficult um, challenge. And you um, know, I was just thinking about those of us that are trying to do that, trying through the study of God's Word to grasp who God is. Trying to grasp what is the Bible actually saying? What does it actually mean? Um, We face a lot of challenges. Weldon, you're beginning a journey of studying God's Word and I'm so excited about that and so proud of you for that. But I'm going to tell you right now, I've been studying it for 42 years. And the challenges that we face in trying to really understand the Word of God? They are numerous and they are daunting. By example, the challenge of taking verses out of context. The challenge of bringing to the Bible what my culture values and believes, and projecting that onto the Word of God. The challenge of looking for proof text to validate what I already am convinced is true. The challenge of emphasizing certain verses and chapters of the Bible, passages of the Bible, at the expense of other verses and chapters and passages of the Bible. And and I could spend an hour continuing the list of challenges uh, that we face in trying to study God's Word and understand the God of the Bible. Those of us that are trying to do that, we ought to be constantly asking ourselves questions as we study God's Word. What does the whole counsel of God say about that issue or that topic? What does Psalm 23 say or Genesis chapter uh, 3 say? But what does the whole Bible say about that issue? We ought to be asking ourselves what, what do the lives of the Bible saints how is this issue how is this Principle, how is this um, idea that I am wanting to know about, I'm wanting to understand, I'm wanting to apply to my life? How do I see that idea or that principle fleshed out in the lives of all the Bible saints? Not just one Bible saint or two Bible saints, but How does does this principle or this issue, whether it's... I I, I don't have time to go into examples, but do I see this issue or this principle fleshed out consistently throughout the lives of Bible saints? Do I see that consistency? as the real point of the life of Samson how we can all be strong. Is that the point of that story? i go on. Understand verses and passages. And ultimately, as I'm trying to understand verses and passages and chapters and ideas and principles in Scripture, do I dare filter? what I'm studying and thinking and trying to believe or prove, do I dare filter it through Jesus' invitation that if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to pick up your cross and follow me. Well, that'll weed out a lot of theology that I hear on the radio and on TV. How can you have a happy marriage? How can you have successful kids? How can you live a life of victory and power and joy? How can you become rich? I'll take all that good stuff. But dare I filter those kinds of ideas through Jesus' invitation. If you're going to be my disciple, you're going to have to pick up your cross and follow me. And all of a sudden all those other things that i just listed take on a new light well i'm going to give you a, we're going to talk about an example of what i'm i've mentioned so far and that's the challenge of really understanding the bible's clear and repeated and incredibly unpopular declaration. Let me say that one time because all those words are very important. I want us to think today and try to wrestle with and understand well the Bible's clear, repeated, and incredible Incredibly unpopular declaration that at times God rescues His people from harm. And at times God does not. Let me say it one more time. Because I can already see in your faces well that ain't what I came to hear today. I want to know how I can double my... St- investment portfolio I want to know how I can make my husband sweeter to me how my kids can raise three numbers on the SAT that's what I came to uh, to find out about I'd like for us to consider for a few minutes today the Bible's clear repeated and very unpopular message, declaration that the God of the Bible at times rescues His people. And the God of the Bible at times does not. If you don't like what I'm going to teach today, I want you to blame Michael Shira. Because where this comes from is that a couple of Wednesday nights ago, we were studying the ten, uh, not the, ten, the ten plagues. And he shot his little hand up like he does every Wednesday night and said, how come the first three plagues affected God's people as well as the Egyptians? Now that's a good question because you would think that that's not the way that would work. Why would God zap the Egyptians? I mean, you see why he did that, right? They're not willing to let God's people go, and he puts 10 plagues on them. But the first three affected the people of God as well as the Egyptians. That doesn't seem right. And he asked why. And I gave him some vague, uh, non-committal, uh, weak, thank you, thank you, weak answer. And that's the truth. And the reason is because I, don't, I, don't, I didn't know. I don't know. It's a great question, but I don't know the answer. But it got me thinking. And isn't that one of the purposes of the people of God? That we gather together and we bring our thoughts and questions, our uncertainties, our doubts, our, 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 our strong faith and our weak faith. And we wrestle together. That, that's, that's a good purpose of the people of God. But he got me thinking, and I I didn't like what I said to him, because it was lame, it was weak, it was vague. I started thinking, God, why, why, why would you zap your own people with the first three plagues? And I'm sure there's a lot of great answers that I was not able to hear from the Lord. But I did hear one. And that was God's clear and repeated and unpopular response that at times God chooses to rescue or protect or deliver or give victory to His people, His faiths. And at times, he does not. Let me give you some verses. Acts 14. Paul encouraged the disciples to remain true to the faith by reminding them that we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And the way that's written, what Paul is saying is, You won't get into the kingdom of God without going through many hardships. Psalm 37 says, In times of disaster and famine, the godly won't wither and they will have enough. I'll have enough. Somehow we emphasize the end of that. I won't wither. I'll have enough. But do I emphasize the first part? The godly will go through times of disaster and famine. The disaster that falls on the unrighteous falls on the righteous. The famine that falls on the unrighteous falls on the righteous as well. Listen to what Paul says in Hebrews 11. By faith, God, now this, we like this first part. By faith, God's saints overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, escaped death, Weakness, their weaknesses were turned to strengths, they were fierce in battle, they made armies flee, their women received their dead back to life. Can I get an amen? I'm in. Who wants that? Me. But other saints were tortured and refused to deny God to gain freedom but rather chose to put their hope in a better life to come. God's saints were jeered and beaten and chained and imprisoned. And they died by stoning, being sawed into, and through the sword. They were forced to wear animal skins. They were destitute, oppressed, mistreated. They were too good for this world. Wandering over deserts and mountains and hiding in caves and holes. All these saints earned a good reputation for their faith. Yet they did not receive what God had promised them. Now, the implication is yet. They died not receiving what God had promised them. Now, don't forget what chapter... I read that from. What chapter was that? You know, in the Hebrews eleven. Now it doesn't say this in the in the, you know, in the original. But where Paul did not write this, but every Bible in this room, the little subtitle above Hebrews eleven is the Hall of Faith, because you could imply improv- well that first half were full of faith, and that second half didn't have any faith. That's why line ate them. That's why they got. Sawed in two. That's why they were destitute. They didn't have any faith. But the whole Deadgum chapter is a list of people. That were people of faith. My message today is as simple as it can be. Little children and Ole Miss grads can get this. Okay. It is vital to remember. That at times, God sovereignly chooses to rescue His people. And at times, God sovereignly chooses not to. The reason that's so important to get, guys... If you don't get that, if you don't see that, if you don't accept... I'm not asking you to believe it. I'm not asking you to agree with it. I'm asking you to see that that's what the Word of God says. I don't like it. That's really what I'm trying to say. I'm not asking you to like it. I'm asking you to see that that's what the Word of God says. And the reason that's so important is that if we don't see that at times God chooses to keep His favorites from losing their sight. If we don't see that, there are times when God, He says, I will not let my favorites go blind. But there are other times when God says, I'm going to let my favorites go blind we don't get that, then when we go blind or lose our job or get cancer or go through a divorce or get a phone call from the police that our kid is in a really bad place, we will draw the conclusion that God doesn't love me, God has abandoned me. God has forgotten me. God is punishing me. And the reason I'm sharing this with you today is because many of us in this room, we do go there. We do draw those conclusions. What did I do wrong? What didn't I do enough of? What did I do too much of? And that when God does not rescue me, the conclusion must be that God's punishing me, rejecting me, neglecting me, or He's forgotten me. I told you that this is a clear, repeated, unpopular message. Let me walk you through the Bible just for a second. Give you some examples. I would challenge you to go home and start reading your Bible every day and I look forward to y'all sending me the names of anybody in the Bible that is given enough ink now you know somebody's name is mentioned and we don't really know much but anybody that God gives some ink to some real ink to he talks about them a lot I want you to tell me the exception to this who is the exception Who in their life did not go through times when God gave them rescue and deliverance and protection? And who in the Bible that God gives serious ink to did they not go through times when God did not rescue? He did not protect. And He did not deliver. By example, Joseph. We've been studying Joseph on Wednesday nights. We're moving on now, but we did, we did a lot. Um, there were times when God chose to sovereignly not rescue Joseph. Did he rescue him from his brothers? When his brothers decided to sell him into slavery? And those Ishmaelites came traveling by. Did an angel stand between the Ishmaelites and the brothers? And Joseph with a flaming sword and say, I will... No. Our favorites into slavery in Egypt. I will not. No. When he got down to Mr. Potiphar's house, and the Ishmaelites said, got a good deal on uh, uh, Canaanite uh, Jewish slaves. Did God, that angel, tell Potiphar... You set him free. No. What about Mrs. Potiphar's deal? What about when the wine-tasting dude uh, had his dream uh, 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 interpreted properly? You'd have thought, of surely, because Joseph is one of God's favorites, the, the wine-tasting dude will go right to Joseph and uh, right to Pharaoh and say, woo, we need to get this guy out of jail and you need to put him uh, in a a high place, a high position to help you run this land. Is that what happened? No. He was forgotten for years. God chose at times to not rescue Joseph. But there came a day, the Bible says, when the wine-tasting dude remembered. And he got Joseph out, presented him to Pharaoh, and you know the rest of the story. God did deliver. Times when God doesn't, times when God does. I thought of Ruth, precious Ruth. In my opinion, the greatest lady in the Bible other than Mary. Her husband died. And she was left without any children. She couldn't have children. Or he couldn't have children. Somebody couldn't have children. And she was left with a dead husband and no children. God didn't rescue You'd have thought God would have rescued Ruth's husband. But he didn't. You'd have thought God would have given Ruth uh, uh, children because she's so full of faith and sincerity and obedience. But he didn't. were there times of God's uh, 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 deliverance and rescue? Of course. Boaz was in the field. And God used him. And then there was Esther, who ultimately became the great granddaddy or the granddaddy of David. Esther. Esther lost her home, her family. Her homeland. She was a slave in a foreign land. God did not rescue her. But then there was a day when God sovereignly chose to rescue her. We, if we're not careful, we will emphasize the times of rescue to the absolute neglect of the times when there was no rescue. And we do that to somehow create this message that if you really love God and you're full of faith and you're walking on the water and raising the dead and doing right and obeying all the... You can, you're obeying 12 commandments. You're not even stopping at 10. 10. Gonna, come Add a couple of more. Come on. That somehow all we're experiencing are times of deliverance and rescue. Jesus had 12 disciples, but he had three that were his inner circle. I find it very significant that those were the three closest friends Jesus had. Two of them, Peter and James, were a part of that inner three. And the Bible says in the same chapter, Acts chapter 12, both men were arrested. One man was killed, James. And one man was set free by an angel. God sometimes rescues. And God sometimes does not. One more example. The Apostle Paul. Let me read this to you. Acts 16. The mob grabbed Paul there in Philippi. They'd just been preaching the gospel in the marketplace. And um, uh, a group of people heard Paul and didn't like what he said. And so it says the mob grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities, accusing them of causing an uproar in the city and teaching illegal customs for Romans to follow. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas and the official put in jail in chains in the inner dungeon. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. And suddenly an earthquake shook the jail to its foundation and all the prison doors flew open and all the prisoners' chains fell off. Which example is that passage emphasizing? The no rescue? I think so. Stripped, beaten, jailed, chained in a dungeon? That sounds like no rescue to me. Or does it emphasize the rescue? An earthquake occurred. The Philippian jailer brought Paul and his friend Silas out of jail and bandaged him up and doctored him, helped him, and took care of him. And then the, the town officials came and set Paul and Silas free. In the same passage, you see God's rescue and His deliverance, but you also see His choice not to rescue. Ultimately, we see this very same response of God in the life of His Son, Jesus. Did God rescue Jesus? Well, let me just publicly declare, praise God, he did not. He could have. Jesus said, if I ask my dad, he'll send legions of angels, and they'll wipe the slate clean, and I I I can go on my merry way. But he didn't. God did not rescue his son, and he died. That wasn't the whole story. That wasn't the end of the story, was it? Did God rescue His Son? Absolutely. He rose from the grave. He was given eternal victory. And that's the one that we've been called to emulate and follow. The life of one more precious than gold in the eyes of His Father who at times was given rescue and deliverance, and at times was not. Jesus said, remember I told you that a slave's life is not greater than his master's? As I have suffered and been persecuted, so will you. Paul said in Philippians 2, be like Christ Jesus, who didn't cling to his rights as God, but humbled himself in obedience to God and suffered and died on the cross in every one of these examples God could have stayed the attack the problem the suffering the pain God could have said I will not allow it and God could have rescued sooner why make them wait Why didn't God just say, no sirree, Bob, I will not let it occur, or I'm going to let it occur, but it's going to be quick. Why would God choose at times to do neither? God has His his reasons. Sometimes those reasons are clear, and sometimes those reasons are not clear. What is clear in every one of those examples and in every other example you'll find in Scripture is that God's love and commitment and involvement in those people's lives was real and strong and abundant. And that was true in the lives of those that he rescued and it was true in the lives of those that he did not rescue. Please find endurance and encouragement and hope from the Scriptures that at times God sovereignly chooses to rescue, and at times. He does not. And beware of drawing the conclusion that at the times that he does not rescue, there's something wrong with God or there's something wrong with me. My in-laws are here today. and I'm so happy that they are. And I hope it's okay for me to use this example. This happened, oh, 20 years ago probably, whenever y'all went to China. They have some really good friends, best friends, who are precious people, but they were going to take a trip to China. And this was back when China wasn't really, wasn't cool to go to China. And um, I'll never forget uh, this couple They said, we're going to go on this trip. She was a travel agent lady. And they they were given a free trip. And they said, we want y'all to go with us. And uh, she said, the reason we want you to go with us is because God loves y'all. And God blesses everything you do. And if you fly on the airplane with us, we'll be safe. And that's exactly what she said, isn't it, Nanny? I've never forgotten that. Wonder if that lady would still say that God really loves y'all. That God's hand of power and, and commitment, involvement. And delight is still on y'all during very, 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 very difficult times. Or do the difficult times declare God no longer delights in y'all? He doesn't remember you. He's forgotten you. He's punishing you. He's, He's busy with something else. That's what I got today. Some of you are in times right now where you would, if I gave you a chance, you'd pop up and say, God is delivering me. God is delivering me. He's rescuing me. He's blessing me. Thank the Lord. And you know what? That's exactly what you ought to do. Thank the Lord for His rescue and deliverance and help and blessings. Maybe you also ought to find somebody that's not able to give the same testimony and participate in blessing them. And then there's some of you in the room that you'd say, man, I do struggle with believing that God loves me. Because things are not going well. I don't see God's rescue. I don't see God's deliverance. Do you doubt that God loved Joseph? And David? And Ruth? And Esther? And the Lord Jesus and the Apostle Paul? Do you doubt that? And yet God let them experienced times of rescue and times where He did not rescue. I don't know why God doesn't rescue us all the time. Maybe it's just so that we can reveal to other people That at the end of the day, God is enough. If I never get a job, my husband is never healed, my children never change, I never overcome this cancer, and I hate going through it, and I battle with anger and frustration because I have to go through it. But God is enough. God is enough. Maybe that's part of the reason. I don't know. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. Um, Rachel, you and Mom want to come help me? Please. Psalm 31 says... You share your goodness. This is about God. God, you share your goodness with those who make you their place of refuge. God, you share your goodness with those who make you their place of refuge. Who gets to come up and take the Lord's Supper? Everybody that lived a good life this week wrote a big check and put it in that box back there and um, can testify that everything that I touch turns to gold and I am walking in the blessings of the Lord. You get to come and take the Lord's Supper today. And you do. But everybody that can't say that, you get to come too. And you get to eat bread that represents the body of God's Son and drink wine or juice which represents His blood that He shed on the cross because you declared maybe verbally like David says, I've made God my refuge. Like David says in Psalm 31. If God is your refuge, He is your hope, He's your Savior. Not because you're good, but because He is. Not because you've done great things, but because He's done the greatest thing, and that is down the cross for your sins and mine. If that's your declaration, if that's your belief, if that's your hope, then you come and you eat and you drink and you remember what Jesus did for you and give thanks. You come. There'll be people by both sides of the windows, on both sets of windows. That would love to pray with you. Barbara will be over here on my right. and Michael will be on my left. Please come and be prayed for if you need that. Please.